Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is part two of the power of the Word of God. Man, I'm so glad that God gave us this wonderful thing called the Bible. And somebody says the Bible stands for basic information before leaving the earth. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 today. But before we get too deep into that text, I want to encourage you to be in God's Word. I can't overemphasize the power of God's Word in our lives. It has made a drastic impact upon my life, and it will change your life like nothing else can. You know, sometimes you can get so discouraged, and you can talk to people, and and uh, and, and they can help. And I, I'm not diminishing the ministry of God's people, man. I'm so thankful for God's people who pray. But there's sometimes you go through some deep waters in life, and it seems like nothing can sustain you except God's Word. And God's Word has a message for you today. That's why I love the Word of God. You know, many years ago when I was debating what the Lord wanted me to do in my life, I was going back and forth, and I was kind of all over the place. Uh, At the age of 15, I was more confused than a termite in a yo-yo, trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. And I had a good friend that helped me out. And he says, you know, you got to make a distinction between the call of God and the will of God. Oh, I said, man, that's what I need to hear. What is the difference between a call of God and the will of God in your life? Well, the will of God is something that is for all people. You know, for example, we know that it's the will of God that no man should perish. God's will for your life, if you're listening to me on this broadcast, is that you be born again. That you will confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That you will acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago that he was buried and that he rose again three days after his death and that he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's interceding for you. You know, Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, but he didn't stay in that barred man's tomb. No, sir, he rose again. And he was victorious over hell and sin in the grave. And he asked us today to put our faith and trust in him. And his father says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will is that you be born again. You know, God's will is also that you live a holy life, right? And God wants us to be separated from sin, and He doesn't want us to live a life filled with sin. He wants us to live a holy life, a life that is set apart for a special use to be used of God. You know, I could go on and on about what the will of God is. The Bible is very clear about what the will of God is. But there's also a calling of God. I think that God calls every one of us to a particular profession. I think the major decision in your life, God has a calling for that. I believe that God called me to be a pastor. I believe that God called me to marry Sherry Lee Johnson. And uh, we've been married for 33 years. Uh, I believe that God led me to her and she was led to me. And uh, God worked in both of our lives. And uh, God blessed us with a wonderful marriage. I believe that God called me to start Hickory Ridge Community Church 25 plus years ago. These are things that I feel God called me to do. So God's will is more general. Uh, It's for all of humanity. God's calling. God may have called you to be a truck driver. God may have called you to be a a musician. Uh, God may have called you to be a doctor or a nurse or or a lawyer. God has a calling for your life. Uh, God has people that he wants to be in your life. And so don't get those two confused. And it really helped me when I figured out the difference between the will of God and the calling of God. Listen, when God calls you to do something, he empowers you to do it. He gives you the, uh, the gifts and the talents and, and the determination and the wisdom on how to fulfill that calling for your life. Well, that's kind of an extra bonus for you today. Just because you listen to the broadcast, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. 
If you'd like to support the ministry of this broadcast of Hope for Your Heart, if you go to the Hickory Ridge Community Church website, uh, you just go to hrcc7.org, and you can hit the Give tab. Just scroll down a little bit where it says giving, and uh, I'd love to receive a donation from you uh, to help us stay on the air. Now, listen, if you don't have the money to do it, that's okay. Uh, This is a ministry of our church, and our church graciously, God's people graciously give, and I know some of our listeners have joined our church, and we're so thankful for that. And so if you enjoy the broadcast, but you don't have any uh, ways to support it, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Don't beat yourself up over that. Listen, plenty of other people will do that for you. I'm not going to beat you up over that. I'm just glad that we can be a blessing to you. And if we are an encouragement to you, would you send me a text message? Here's my cell phone, 252-267-2365. Just tell me, hey, I enjoyed the broadcast. If there's something that I can pray for you about, man, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to pray for you, okay? Well, let's get into part two of the power of the Word of God. We're going to do a quick overview of the book of Hebrews, and then I'm going to give you four benefits of the Word of God found in Hebrews 4, 11, and 12. Okay, so here is the overview. Uh, this is kind of a, a rehash from yesterday, but I didn't give you all five. You got four out of the five yesterday. And so here they are quickly. Number one is the danger of drifting, right? The children of Israel They were drifting in their relationship with the Lord, and they drifted so far that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, they made a golden calf. You see, they left Egypt, but Egypt never left them, and so they started worshiping a calf, a golden calf, created by the hand of man, and they were following a god of the Egyptians. The second thing that we're warned about in the book of Hebrews is the danger of not resting. Listen, when you're born again, you don't have to keep working for your salvation. Listen, we work out of a heart of gratitude. I think about marriage, and I think about when my wife and I got married, and uh, it was such a wonderful day. I was so nervous about that. I was afraid I'm going to say something wrong or say something stupid, and I was so nervous the day I got married. I just told my wife, I says, I just, I just can't wait for this ceremony to be over. And, uh, and, and you may think this is strange, but I really don't like to be in front of people. And, uh, and I was up there, and, and, uh, and really the bride's the center of the tension, but I was all stressed out about that thing. I was as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof in the middle of July as I was up there in front of people. And, uh, but I said, I'm just so glad I made it through that ceremony uh, without doing anything uh, that would, would embarrass me or, or my wife-to-be at that time. So the danger of not resting. When we got married, I didn't have to keep winning her over. I didn't have to keep asking her to marry me. Now I was in a different phase. Now I was going to love her. Not so I could keep her. I was going to love her because God had given her to me. I was going to treat her like royalty. As a matter of fact, I tell couples when you get married, there's only three things that you need to know about marriage. I did a marriage uh, last weekend, and uh, my niece was married, asked me to do their ceremony. And so the guy who was the DJ says, man, I love you. You gave him three things to remember, three simple things to remember to have a successful marriage. Now, rule number one of a successful marriage is that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Contracts are based on the fact that you don't trust somebody. A covenant is unconditional. Listen, if you love your wife unconditionally, don't expect a whole lot from her, okay? Lower those standards, realizing that it is such a privilege for you to have a wife. And I realize uh, that I am so honored, right? It's such an honor to have a wife. You know, a lot of people don't have wives, right? And I'm so blessed that I have a wife that will put up with my nonsense. And I keep that as a reminder, right? Because most marriages fall apart, not because of underperformance. Most marriages fall apart because over-expectation. 
So lower those expectations that you have for your spouse. Raise the expectations that you have in that marriage. And remember, it's a covenant. Just like God would never stop loving us, we should never stop loving our spouse. Secondly, marriage is work. Oh, yes, you got to work at your marriage. The more you put into it, the more you get out of it. I had a friend of mine says, and said to me the other day, I was talking to him, and he says, you know what I did? He says, well, I asked my wife if she would do the honor of having dinner with me. I kind of asked her like, a, like it was a date, right? I didn't just assume. I didn't say, hey, honey, you want to go get, uh, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Says, he said, now, honey, would you do me the honor of escorting me to a restaurant of your choice? Just that little difference, right? Keeping the spark alive. Marriage is work. Marriage is a covenant relationship. And then number three, you got to go in it with the mindset that a divorce cannot be an option. So don't think about it. Don't consider it. Don't have a prenuptial agreement, okay? Uh, when two become one, I believe that's across the board, right? Not only to become one physically, but we become one emotionally and spiritually and financially and in all ways. You know, you know who is getting everything when I die if I predecease my wife? She's getting everything, right? And uh, she's going to get all my retirement, you know, all that finals in my retirement account. Uh, she's going to get all that, and she's going to get the house, and uh, she's going to get the mortgage to go along with it. She's getting all that stuff, right? Uh, all of my life insurance, uh, not another $10 added to that list, right? She's getting it all, right? Because when I die, that's what I'm going to be giving her. It's all hers, right? Two become one. So those are three important rules. Well, let me get back to the Hebrews' dangers, Okay. Danger number one is the danger of drifting. Danger number two, the danger of not resting. Danger number three is the danger of not growing up, not maturing. You know, the Israelites say never grew up as a nation. And as a result, God had to constantly challenge them to to move past the elementary truths. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe you're listening to me today and you say, man, I don't understand why I'm not growing up the way I should. You know, we are blessed. My wife and I are blessed with a a child that has autism. And I say blessed because when I first learned that we had a child with autism, I got to be honest with you, I kind of got upset with God about it, right? Because I'm like, what in the world did we do to deserve this, you know? Uh, and, I, and I felt like we didn't deserve it. We, we shouldn't have been, you know, given this gift of a child with autism. And then somebody said to me, he said, you know what? God only gives special needs kids to special parents. God knew you could handle them. And so don't look at that as a burden, look at it as a blessing. And so I did. I started changing my perspective. And, and when Seth was coming along, one of the signs that we saw in him was he was not maturing. You know, when kids get to age two and then age three, that's when they start formulating words and, and putting words together and then putting sentences together. Well, Seth wasn't doing that. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't putting words together. He wasn't even putting words at all. He wasn't formulating words at all. And, and there were some other things that was going on in his life, and, uh, and he wouldn't establish eye contact. You know, we look at him, and, and he'd look off in the distance like, like he was there but not there. And, and then one day, my wife is with him at Food Line, and, and uh, she's got him in the carriage, and he's, he, you know, he, even though he's five years old, he's sitting in the carriage as a five-year-old, and, uh, and he has a seizure. And right there in the middle of uh, a food line, and uh, thank God that uh, they they responded well, and uh, and the and the wonderful rescue squad from from Moyot came and helped my wife out, and and then we discovered well he's got a seizure disorder in addition 
uh, to his autism. And and uh, in addition to the fact that we had trouble with him uh, getting him potty trained and things that should happen, you know, at, at three and, and maybe latest four was not happening in his life. And he says, we got a problem here. And uh, so the doctor diagnosed him very young, at a very young age with infantile autism. Basically, he has the mindset of an infant, and now he's over six foot tall and over 250 uh, pounds. Uh, so here we have this this baby Huey, right? We have this this very large adult with the mindset of a child. Uh, the nation of Israel never grew up as a nation. They should have grown up. They needed to get past the milk of the word, uh, and they needed to get on solid food, but they weren't ready for it. They never got to the point where they could handle the meat of the word. And so he gives them this challenge to move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ, moving forward to maturity. And so that's the danger of not maturing. Then number four, we have the danger of deliberately sinning. And that's where we left it off in the broadcast yesterday. So here we have a picture of a nation at the time of the first coming of Christ. They kept sinning willfully. And so for 400 years, God was silent. But then when Jesus comes onto the scene, he cries out. The Lord himself says, the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, shall be required of this generation, Luke eleven fifteen. And so Josephus tells us that because of their prophets, see, it got so bad that they stopped listening to the word. And so they were deliberately sinning, and it not only impacted the people, but also the prophets. Now, sometimes you may look at our world today, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and sometimes I scratch my head and says, why is it that it seems like we don't go through too many weeks until we hear of a pastor, right? Often a high-profile pastor falling into sin. The pastor is reflecting the culture. Instead of speaking out against the culture, and so Jesus reminds them, and it's a reminder to us, that we should avoid the danger of deliberately and willfully sinning. As we look at the text that we see this, it's found in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm just going to read verses 24 to 27 because of time. Uh, I could give you a lot more background, but I hope that you'll read it if you have a moment, beginning at verse 19 down to 26. But verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know we've just come through COVID, and, and many of you have got out of the habit of going to church. I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he's so discouraged because 30% of his congregation has never returned after COVID, and he hadn't been able to attract new people to his church. And so now they're at a point where they're struggling to meet their bills. I talked to another pastor friend of mine, and and 90% of his congregation hasn't come back after COVID. And and so now they're, they're merging that church with another church so they can keep their doors open. Listen, we are commanded in God's word that we should be gathering together. You know, one of the reasons it's so important to gather together is because by you being in church on Sunday, you can encourage somebody. Yeah, we're to spur one another on, right, to love and good deeds. You know, you think about spurs that are on the bottom of your boots, you know, you kind of spur the side of the horse and he takes off, right? And so that's what we need. All of us from time to time need that spurring as we meet together. So don't get out of the habit of coming to church because as we gather together to worship, we encourage one another. And I find out something really neat about encouraging other people. 
The more I encourage other people, the more I get encouraged. You may be listening today, so well, I go to church every Sunday, I never get encouraged. Well, you're going for the wrong reason. It says here that we are to go to encourage one another. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. In other words, if you've been exposed to the gospel and you reject that gospel, there's nothing else that God can do for you. You know, there's one sin that you will commit, that you can commit, that will keep you out of heaven. It's not the sin of adultery. It's not the sin of homosexuality. Uh, It's not stealing or lying. It's not coveting. Uh, It's not taking the name of the Lord in vain. There's only one sin that you will commit that will keep you out of God's heaven, and that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is saying no to God. You know, if you say no to God, he will oblige you. He said, okay. If you don't want to have a relationship with me, that's fine. Uh, You know, I'm not going to force it on you. You have a a choice. You see, many people wrongly think that God sends people to hell. No, no, no. God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting God's gift. Listen, God loves you so much that he provided a way of escape, says Paul. But if we keep on deliberately sinning after the knowledge of truth, there's no sacrifice left. So that sin that he's talking about is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If we keep saying no to the Spirit of God, rejecting the Spirit of God, nothing God can do can override that will that you have to reject him. So we've learned so far that we must be aware of the dangers of drifting, the danger of not resting, the danger of not maturing, the danger of willful sinning, and then number five, the danger of indifference. Now, as we look at this, the danger of indifference. We have a wonderful illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. And it shows the, the indifference on the part of even those who profess Christ. Many will not patiently endure. Many will throw in the towel. The Old Testament prophets, they prophesied that two-thirds of the nation of Israel would perish in the tribulation because they are indifferent to spiritual realities. You may have noticed that each of these warnings is greater than the previous one, and that failure to heed them brought about a severe punishment. The same progression of sinning that is possible in the life experience of those second-generation believers and that which can be illustrated in the history of the children of Israel we must remember that we can also fall into the sin of indifference. And and I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and I, I want to pick it up at verse number five, and it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, now don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his own. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is training you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not a legitimate and true son or daughter at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, I remember when my kids were young and I would often come home 
uh, after a day of work, and I'd come into the house, and you know we had five kids, and they'd be running all over the place. But I'd get into my house, and there'd be like there'd be like fifteen kids at my house, and I'm like, what in the world are all these kids doing at my house? And I want to encourage you because uh, you can plant seeds in the lives of these children. And so my wife and I, we decided to be best for her, uh, to be home with our children until uh, the youngest one started school. And so when our baby Seth was uh, going to K-5, Sherry went and she started teaching. But up until that point, she was home. So she was home with the kids uh, for for probably uh, 12, 13 years as a stay-at-home mom. And uh, I tell you what, th- those were some hard, lean years, okay? And uh, I was working two jobs so that she could stay home. And uh, so when I come home, I see all these kids and said, what in the world are these kids doing here? And uh, many of them were not our children. They were just neighborhood kids. And they get off the bus, and a lot of them would get off the bus and come right to my house. And uh, which I thought that was great because at least I knew uh, where my kids were. I knew where the neighborhood kids were. And, you know, sometimes those kids that didn't belong to me, sometimes they did some things that they shouldn't do, right? And, you know, I would be tempted sometimes. I didn't do this, okay? Uh, But sometimes I wanted to, okay? I I wanted to sometimes go over there and and apply the Board of Education to see to learn to these neighborhood kids, but I didn't. Why? They weren't my kids. Now, they meant my kids. Oh, yeah, in a New York minute, uh, we would have taken care of that. As a matter of fact, when I was coming along, my dad had a favorite verse. And he would quote this verse to me often, and uh, he loved this verse. He said, foolishness. Yeah, foolishness. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. And so I remember hearing that verse often, and oftentimes I knew when when I was getting that verse, it was getting me that time where uh, I was going to get the spanking, right? You know, my dad would give me a spanking from time to time. Uh, Now, he wouldn't spank the neighborhood kids, and I don't spank the neighborhood kids because they don't belong to me. But the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. If you are experiencing God's discipline in your life, don't get disheartened by it. Realize that he loves you so much that he's not going to let you get away with certain things. You know, my kids were coming along. I, I would often pray that if they were doing something wrong, that they would get caught. I figured it's better for them to get caught and deal with a problem before they turn to the magic age of 18. Uh, because, you know, uh, you can do a whole lot of things until you turn to 18. And all of a sudden, when you turn 18, uh, now you have a permanent record, right? So if you're going to mess up in life, do it while you're young. Uh, do it before you're 18. Get it out of your system so that once you turn 18, uh, you don't have a criminal record that's following you the rest of your life. So I would pray that my kids would get caught so that we could deal with the problem and we could get it corrected. You know, as I think about why so many people are dropping out, stress and isolation and political division are three reasons why pastors are desiring to quit. This Barna research is March 2022. March 2022, the percentage of pastors who have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year is at 42%. So that means If I've got 10 people that are going to listen to me and they're going to 10 different churches, four out of those 10 people who are listening to me today when they go to church on Sunday are listening to a pastor who has strongly considered quitting full-time ministry. Now, now this is consistent with the data that was given in in 2021, but we're seeing a, a sharp increase in that report, just up from 2021. In 2021, it was 29% of pastors who says, man, we're, we're in the middle of COVID and I'm ready to give up. But now we're outside of COVID pretty much. And now, and it's, now it's even higher with 42%. So that's why I want to encourage you with Hebrews 4.11. 
Make every effort to enter into that rest so that you won't perish. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of the soul and the spirits and the morrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Maybe you're listening to me today and say, well, why in the world should I trust the Bible? Let me give you four reasons, okay? Number one, it's alive. It's bringing us life. The Word of God is alive. You know, Isaiah says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. You see, you never have to worry about the Bible becoming extinct. The Bible is not ill. Uh, The Word of the Lord will stand forever. It matters not how many people will speak of its demise or how many people will reject it. The Word of God stands forever. So I want to encourage you to join me one more day as we look at this subject of why should I trust the Bible. I have four major reasons why you should trust the Bible. It's alive, it's active, and the Bible is all comprehensive and it's all authoritative. Well, join me tomorrow and we'll dive deeper into that subject as to why I should trust the Bible. Now, if you would be so kind as to send me a text, if you have a question, maybe it's a Bible question, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. I'll do the best I can to answer your question. And maybe you'd like to hear a sermon on a particular subject. If you will text me 252-267-2365, I will do the best I can to get a message about that out to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.